Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Sal Pacello from San Diego, California. I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Dr. Sam Ree from uh, Bergen County, New Jersey, as well as our guest host, Dr. Larry Tong from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. How are you guys this morning? Doing awesome. Great. Great to see you guys. Dr. Jajurakar couldn't be with us today, um, but we we are with him in spirit today. Um, well, thanks so much for joining in, guys. Um, I got my, uh, it's Bill's playoff day. I got my Bill's gear, my Bill's swag um, on. So uh, we're going to be cheering on the team later this afternoon. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about a very niche topic in facial cosmetic surgery called festoon treatment. Okay. Um, before we get into that, let's do a little disclaimer. Dr. Tong. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Sal. Always classy. Uh, this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstance, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding medical care. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something in this show. Excellent. Uh, so, gents, as we mentioned, we're going to talk about festoons today, and uh, this, is a, this is a very problematic uh, area of concern in facialist surgery and blepharoplasty, and um, sometimes it's also very confusing. So, um, what we're referring to specifically for our viewers out there is when you look at the eye, um, obviously, we're talking about the lid here and the cheek. And there's an area that connects the lid and the cheek called the lid-cheek junction. And many times as we get older, there's a little indentation there, what we call the tear trough space or the, um, or the deep crevice of the eye. And, um, and there's bags that occur above that space. We're, we're not specifically talking about the bags of the lower eyelid because those are, those are a unique anatomic area. What we're talking about is many times there's a, a soft tissue bag or a skin bag that goes beyond the cheek line and the lid junction, sort of right in this region here. And it's traditionally very, very problematic to treat. So, uh, gents, just um, from your practice, what, what do you, um, do, do you see this a lot? Do you have patients come in uh, complaining of this issue a lot? Uh, I'll start off. Yes, uh, this is something where um, a lot of people think that doing something to the uh, lower eyelid uh, will help. And in my experience, when I do a low, lower lip blepharoplasty, um, it doesn't seem to completely uh, fix it. And uh, in, in conversations with uh, Dr. Ree, he's, he's indicated that uh, he, it, uh, he's able to get good success uh, with it. So um, I'm, I'm going to start off with Dr. Ree. I'm very curious to you know, hear about um, what you have found that is successful in uh, treating this. Yeah, so this this topic came up because I I found this um article on thecut.com written by Valerie Monroe a couple weeks ago and it says what is this bag under my eye and as uh, Sal said so we have the under eye area which is all you know we can get bags and you know all of us do as we get older and then the festoons as Sal said are like on the cheek so as uh as you mentioned Larry like some people have them very prominently. If you look at uh, Al Pacino, for example, he's someone who has these really big cheek bags that are called festoons. And so 
there is debate on how best to treat festoons, which are these mailer mounds or, or cheek bags. And I think if they're pretty mild, like, for example, when you do a lower lid eyelid lift, I know um, there's debate. Can you actually get them better with a lower eyelid lift? And I think some of it is, yes, some of this uh, area is just swelling and edema, which is very non-surgical in a lot of cases. But some of it, if you really um, sort of extend your lower eyelid lift down to the cheek past that uh, lower eyelid cheek junction and uh, sort of involve the malar area and do... Um, do more of a lift that extends to that area. I think you can actually address some of those festoons. I mean, some of them are really severe and you may not be able to, but I think you can in some cases. Right. So um, I, th I think, you know, the, the problem and uh, the, the tenuous nature of how plastic surgeons approach this, quite honestly, is related to the understanding of anatomy. And, you know, and I think that's very important because, uh, you know, I, I have a good friend in Kansas City who uh, speaks quite a bit, Dr. Chris Surik. He's a, he's a true anatomist. And, you know, he, we were just at a meeting in uh, Scottsdale for the Aesthetic Society dissecting some cadaver heads. And he, he has a great comment. He says, a fear of surgery or fear of injection is a fear of anatomy. Okay. And I, and I think that, that, that holds clear for this anatomic area. And so, you know, when you see this festoon, a lot of injectors say, well, you know, let's, let's put some, let's put some fluid in there. We can't treat this surgically. Let's put a filler of some sort. And that is many times the wrong thing to do. And the reason being is you have to think about this festoon like a bag. I like to think about it like a box, actually. Okay. So if you think about a box, the front of the box is skin. The back of the box is periosteum. Okay. So layer over the muscle. The top of the box is a ligament called the orbital malar ligament, which connects the, um, the eyelid space to the cheek space. And then the bottom of the box is something called the uh, uh, zygomatical central, zygomatical cheek ligament, depending on which anatomy text you look at. And so to me, the correct treatment of this is you have to release at least two layers of this box, the front and posterior layer of the box. And by definition, you're going to go through the top and the bottom of that box to open it up. So if you don't routinely release the orbital malar ligament in blepharoplasty, you're not going to do anything to the malar bag or fistula. If you don't release the, the zygomatic ligament, you won't do anything either. And you have to really dissect in two layers. It's a bilaminar or two-layer dissection at the skin and periosteum. The second tenet to this is I think you always have to think about is my video going down again? Sorry. Yeah, it, I think you always you always have to think now. about um, you always have to think about adding some additional um, device or filler in that area that's going to prevent those ligament, cheek, skin attachments from forming again. And so, to me, that's the key to treating this area. And so, when I when I do this. You know, it's a much bigger dissection than a blepharoplasty. It's almost a mid-cheek lift. And I liberally use a lot of fat and filler, not filler, but fat as the filler in order to treat that. So, so Sal, is, is your dissection um, subcutaneous? That's, that's one layer. And what, what's your 
other layer just yeah, on so top of the periosteum? So I, so I first start off, depending on if I'm doing a transconge or a trans uh, cutaneous blepharoplasty, usually in the treating of festoons, uh, I'm doing a transcutaneous blepharoplasty through the skin. So my first layer of dissection is subperiosteal. That allows me to kind of release everything at the deepest layer. And then when I'm suspending everything back into position, I'm doing my uh, manlar pexy or bicularis suspension. Then I will do a very um, wide subcutaneous dissection as well. Now, I think you got to be very careful as a surgeon when you're doing that because that skin can be devitalized very easily. You have to leave a little bit of fat to it. Uh, the leading edge superiorly can uh, devitalize a bit if you're not very careful. And, you know, the skin layer, like many things, and you know, the same concepts occur in facelifts, right? You, the deep layer, you can really crank on the skin layer. You want to close just kissing. You don't, you don't want any tension on this. And the same thing goes, you know, when, I, when I'm treating a festoon. I so think when you... the, key that you, the key that you hit on there is this, a pretty aggressive subperiosteal dissection uh, where you're really clearing that ligament. And it took me a while to figure out how much of that for something like this you really need. Way more, like you said, than, say, a typical bleph. And then, uh, and then just putting a lot of filler in there. So just taking that um, septal fat and just kind of pulling it down usually isn't enough. Like, I have to put more than that in there to make sure that that's, uh, those ligaments don't stick back down again. And that you get a really nice, clean, clear, like, junction. And that that is something that, yeah, it, it took me a while to figure out how to do that, I think. And um, um, honestly, the the biggest part of this is um, suspending everything so that it's not under tension. That's really hard. Like that took a long time for me to figure out a lot of the videos that you and your, your um, mentor uh, ha or, uh, sort of presented really helped with taking tension off of that area and allowing for, like you said, a relatively tension-free closure. Um, I am not as aggressive with that subcutaneous dissection. I like leaving, um, orbicularis a little bit more like I'm a little concerned about that but um yeah like I'll stick a lot of fat in there to try to smooth everything out yeah and and you know um you, you make a very good point about uh, suspension and you know some of the videos that uh, uh Dr. Codner and I made in the past um you know where, where I'm doing things slightly differently now is I'm using uh, laterally a lot of my tech anchors Mm. to support the cheek laterally here. Mm. And I think that's made a huge difference. And you, the beauty of those things, so what, uh, for our viewers out there, those are little tiny screws that you can screw in anywhere on the bony anatomy. And they have a, a two-layer or two-needle suture attached to them. So you can really use these as an anchor point. And they were originally designed for tendon repairs in the fingers, but um, works uh, tremendously well. And you can use one of them. You can use five of them. You can use as many as you need to get the correct that you that so when you do that, um, when you say no tension, uh, obviously when you're resuspending things, there is a little bit of tension. That's to the, the deeper layers, I'm to assuming. the deep layer. Oh, correct, and what about correct. the skin? Like when you are removing, I'm assuming you're excising some degree of skin when you're doing this uh, transcutaneous approach. Do you try to make it um, sort of like smooth and taut or are you just laying it back down and just trimming the minimal amount that you need? Just laying it back down, trimming the middle amount. And I think that's where you get into really tough problems when you're not paying attention to that. 
Um, I think any little bit of tension pulling on the lower lid is is a recipe for disaster. Um, give me an example. Um, you know, um, I at one point I was curious about what kind of force um, can pull down a lower lid. Okay, so I I have these um, gold weights that I use for ptosis repair, and I asked my nurse, young gal in her thirties, to volunteer. So I just systematically start placing taping weights to her lower eyelid and seeing, you know, just how much how much pull we can get from weight. So you know what the you know what the weight limit for displacing the eyelid in a 35-year-old woman was in this particular instrument, it was 2.5 grams. So that's oh, two wow. paper clips. Okay. Mm. And then, and that's in somebody that has good lid position and good ligamentous um, firm positioning. It's somebody who's 70, 80, 90, you know, um, just think, and you, you just blow at the eyelid and it's going to, it's going to get out of position. So I, I think that the non-tension closure is a critical tenant. Yes. So do you what, think that aside from that, um, you know, that the non-tension closure on the skin, um, what is, the, how would you describe to the viewers as what the, the volume is doing? Because you've described it, but um, conceptually, what, what are you actually doing with that volume? So, so the, uh, in, as I mentioned, that anatomic box, right? And so, so what we're doing with when we're putting filler in there, particularly in the cheek or the deeper periosteum, is we're just destroying all of the potential attachments of the box. The box, the prezygomatic space, is what a festoon is, what a mailer bag is. And so if you just destroy the box and you, you recreate the space, you, you know, you, these attachments won't get back. Um, now, let me, let me also say this. Um, this is not a, a foolproof strategy by any means. Um, and I, anybody that comes into my office that has a fest, potential festoon that I'm planning surgery on, I, I try to prepare them for some sort of revision if, if needed. And just for example, you know, about two weeks ago, I had a gentleman I did a, a, a lower lid blepharoplasty on and a festoon um, treatment well, about a year and a half ago. And I've been following him and following him every couple months and hoping his swelling would get better. And he still has a little bit of residual festoon there, you know, and I just resected those directly two weeks ago. And, um, you know, did I make him 100% better, um, after the festoon? No, but we probably got about 85% of the 80, 85% there. It's, it's substantially improved. And I'm hoping with a little bit of a direct excision, it'll, it'll get better. And so, so I think, you know, you, you have to kind of approach this much like ptosis repair. I say to patients, you know, ptosis repair, it's not 100% science. You know, we got a revision rate of about 10%. We may have to take or adjust things a little bit more, but that's okay. We're trying to make it perfect, you know, but we got to give it the time and the swelling to go down. So, What do you think about the non-surgical treatments that this article recommends, like intralesional tetracycline or... Um, ultrasound or radio frequency like do you feel that these are effective treatments for festoon for festoon management so excellent question so um you know i am i am a, a section editor for the aesthetic surgery journal and part of my job um as being a section editor as i review a lot of these articles and so um if, if anybody is out there interested if you just search my name in festoon there's a podcast that comes up about this topic and there's several review articles about this with, with commentaries. And, 
there, there's a couple papers out there that show some modest result improvement with minimal to modest festoons utilizing tetracycline and radiofrequency. And I think, you know, if you have mild festoons, does it make sense to, to go through a big open procedure? Possibly not. I mean, you can always try a non-surgical treatment if things get worse or if things get, if things get better, that, well, that's fantastic. You know, if it, if they get worse, then you know that, you know, it, the, the option is surgery. In advanced festoons where people are, you know, the skin is folded, there's chronic edema, you know, it's visible from across the room. None of this non-surgical treatment really works all that well, in my opinion. I have uh, one thing to add to that with regards to the tetracycline. Um, Conceptually, that type of procedure is something uh, that I have done, and it's been used most effectively, as you said, on mild fistules. Now, it's not injecting tetracycline. Now, for the viewers, tetracycline is an antibiotic, but if you inject it um, under the skin, it's it's very inflammatory, and it causes some scar tissue, and that's how it is um, thought to um, improve uh, the fistule. And so I've done something a little bit different. I've actually used a fat grafting cannula and I've just put it, um, made a very, you know, small needle point incision in, in that area. And I've run the, the rough, um, flute of the, uh, fat graft cannula along the underside of the skin. And that causes, uh, some degree of, uh, inflammation and scarring down. And so that's something that I found is, you know, very simple and easy to do. It doesn't always work though. Uh, I would say it works in maybe about 60% of the times. So uh, that's also something to uh, to consider that I've found uh, success for that. But um, yeah, in the, in the bigger ones, uh, I don't think that works. Have you seen um, filler making these worse? Like someone who has had filler treatment who comes to you and says, oh my God, that made it like 10 times worse. Yes, because oh, almost weekly, almost weekly. Almost weekly, I see this. Yeah, because it it's it seems like it's an area that just likes to swell. Patients will say that it's worse in the morning and it's better in the evening, which implies that it, it's you know because they're lying down and the fluid gets redistributed uh, throughout the body. That um, that swelling of the face uh, makes it worse. So if you're going to put in filler, which is something that's uh, hydrophilic, which attracts water, that's probably going to make it worse. In that article that. Um, Dr. Ree was uh, talking about, it also mentioned that having blepharoplasty can make it worse. I think that's a byproduct of the swelling that occurs uh, with the surgery. I think it, it, I don't think the surgery actually, if you don't do anything specific for it, I don't think it makes it worse, but it does give you a period of time where the fistures may look worse, but then goes back to its original state eventually. Right. But the, the active, the act of injecting a filler inside there to me shows complete non-understanding of the anatomic problem here, right? So like when you inject filler, all that's going to do is swell the box. You do nothing, you're doing nothing to open up the lid of the box or the front of the box, right? And so it just routinely doesn't work. And that's why you see a lot of patients come into the office with, uh, you know, disappointed with, you know, their, their dermatologist or plastic surgeon who injected it or, you know, nurse injected. I mean, in, in most of the cases that I've seen, when I'm doing, you know, lower periorbital fill injection, filler injections, you're not injecting subcutaneous. You're injecting 
either right on the periosteum or right, like basically I'm touching bone necessary. Like when I'm injecting filler, like I want to be right there. Um, I can't imagine anyone actually injecting festoons with filler. You're that you're right. It makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I think what they're trying to do is sort of inject the areas that aren't as full and sort of trying to hide it. But I think the net effect is that it just makes the festoon look worse. Hmm. Uh, any other thoughts about festoon treatment, uh, advice to people who have festoons who are thinking about doing something about it other than going to San Diego and seeing Sal? Cause that's what I would do. No, more, more so right. Sal. You can't operate on Americans. Oh yeah, I can. Let's come on up. <laughs> we take your American oh, dollars. Really? I, I thought that was there. I, I thought that was different. Um, Oh, great. I did. I thought that was a change. Maybe fantastic. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the key here is really, you know, understanding the problem, understanding the anatomy and, you know, the other, the other issue is that most of the time patients who have festivities have other anatomic or morphological, morphologic variants that make their blepharoplasty very challenging. Yes. That, invariably means prominent eyes okay you, you don't see people with deep set eyes getting a lot of festoons people with big cheeks don't necessarily get fist it's people with protruded cheeks with very prominent eyes with loss of tissue volume that tend to get this and if you're not paying attention specifically anatomically to these things you know your your surgeon is is going to disappoint you potentially good points all right. With that, thank you so much, Sal, Larry. Always a pleasure. Really hope the Bills uh, pull it out Go today Bills. with the Chiefs. Oh, all right. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Mm -hmm.